Good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me to come and speak to you this morning. I, I just love coming here. Uh, I love just immersing myself in your worship uh, and being encouraged by your singing and by your praying together. I love it that you clap me before you've heard the ser- sermon. This is really, really rash of you, I want to say. And finally, I just love seeing Al's beard grow. Um, <laughs> it's just sort of, sort of getting more luxuriant uh, every time I come here. Uh, Al came to me this, just, just a moment ago and said, Steve, would you say a few things about um, Project Trinity? And, and I'd love to, and uh, I'd love to be supported uh, in your prayers. Uh, we have three churches, South Morning, South Castro, and South Over, and we're coming together with the basic idea that uh, together is stronger than apart. Um, and also just to say that we might be able to um, uh, do things together that are, that are more powerful for the kingdom of God uh, than trying to plow our own individual fields. Um, and so there are a number of things going on. First of all, um, we are hoping to plant one of our congregations from Southover uh, into Subcastro Church. Um, but if you've been to Subcastro Church, you know that it's, um, it's a monster of a building. Uh, and, and there's very, very little to say that's beautiful and aesthetic about it, apart from maybe the lime green and bright orange tiles on the ceiling, uh, which in the 1970s were really, really hip, I understand, but they need to go. Um, it is a lot of work on the outside and a lot of work on the inside, uh, and we've, we've got funding in place to do that. Uh, and the idea is that in the next week or two, we get planning permission to start, uh, which is essentially to gut uh, the building, uh, to put it down uh, a decent floor, put in chairs, put in a, an audio-visual system, but put in a commercial quality coffee shop and kitchen um, that's really exciting, I have to say. Coming in the morning and getting a cappuccino will just be worth going to church for um, in and of itself. Uh, and we hope to get planning permission to start that next couple of weeks, to start work in about a month's time, and for us to move our 1115 congregation, which currently meets in Southover Church Hall, into uh, that building. Uh, and then we'll have done a church transplant. Uh, and then somehow I've got to work out how to get from Southover Church uh, to South Castro Church um, in minus 15 minutes. And I haven't quite worked that out, but God's going to provide an answer, I'm sure. Um, so that's one of the things I would love you to pray for, that the whole work might continue. Uh, and then we have the whole mission opportunities of breaking open um, our schools ministry amongst the Church of England primary schools in Pells and in South Morning and in Southover too. And this is another reason why we're doing this. Second thing I'd love you to pray for is, is just simply the sense that, um, is that Chris Stainer, who has been uh, with us and is our music minister and an outstanding preacher and has been with a personal friend of mine for about 11 years now, um, is moving on. Uh, he doesn't know where he's going uh, and he's just praying that God will open up a path for him. So please do pray for him and his wife, Ali. And we're now in the market uh, for a contemporary worship leader. Uh, so if you and your networks know of anybody um, in, a, in a different town who's looking for, um, looking for for a church to ministering, I would love to hear from you. Uh, so please do pray for that. And then finally, we're just hoping uh, and praying that as three churches, we might develop a wholehearted sense of discipleship and following Jesus. Uh, and that's the most important thing to pray for. So please do support us there as well. So thank you for inviting me. I bring you greetings from South Over and South Morning and Sub Castro congregations. It is a privilege to be here. What I want to preach about this morning, uh, really, I want to build on the worship that we've had and the words and the verses of Scripture that we've shared together about this sense of God's promise for you and for me uh, that is wonderful and life-giving and life-fulfilling. Uh, and then uh, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I am prepared, 
I am ready, I want to follow Jesus uh, forward in the rest of my life. I want to talk to you about what it might mean for you and for me to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. At the end of Luke chapter 9, there are three encounters with Jesus, with people who want to follow him. And Jesus' response to each of these people, on the face of it, becomes increasingly challenging and more unreasonable as Jesus challenges their fundamental assumptions of what it means to be a Christian. I need to say right at the outset um, of this sermon that the verses uh, in Luke chapter 9 are meant to shock. Uh, They are meant for us to go, hang on. This doesn't look quite right. Uh, This doesn't seem fair. This isn't the Jesus that I thought I knew. Uh, They they force us to decide, what are we going to do with Jesus when we hear words like this? You see, you could read words where Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You could hear his voice and you could simply write him off. You could simply say, yeah, I've always wanted an excuse as to why I need to reject Christianity. And here it is, right in front of me, the words of Jesus himself. Or you could be hearing these words and you can be shocked and you can be disturbed by them. And you could say, hang on, I just want to hang around a bit and dig a bit to work out what Jesus is actually saying. We can say, Jesus, I told you this Christianity stuff is all rubbish. Or you could say, hey, I really don't get what this is all about, and I want to wrestle with you, God. I want to wrestle with you, Jesus, because I need to learn to trust you more, especially when I don't understand what is going on in my life. I I need to learn to trust you more, even when it seems to me that what you're saying is not what I would expect you to be saying. Because it seems to me that as we wrestle with God's words, as we draw deeper into it, as we make ourselves vulnerable to God, he gets to touch places in our life that a superficial relationship with Jesus is never going to touch. He calls us deeper and deeper into him because he wants us to question. He wants us to wrestle. He wants us to dig deep and to be disturbed and to knock aside our assumptions because he wants us to understand that we need to put Jesus before our comfort and before our future and before our past. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. These three encounters help us to see that we need to put Jesus before our comfort and before our future and before our past. What does that mean? Well, let me set the context. In chapter 9, verse 51, we read this, that... As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. As the time for Jesus was there to return to heaven, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. This verse is the pivotal verse in the whole of the Gospel of Luke. This is the day that with furrowed brow and steely gaze, Jesus sets his sights on the cross to the place where he is going to die for the sins of the whole world, for you and for me. If this were a movie, this would be the place where the hero understands what it's going to cost him to save the world, and he mounts up and he rides towards his place of destiny. This is where Jesus commits 
to lay it all on the line for us, to give his life for us. And for here, literally, Jesus will march directly towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, towards his conflict, towards his date with destiny. And let me tell you, he will not flinch. He will not deviate or waver. He sets out straight to conquer sin and death and hell for our salvation, for our life, and for our blessing. And it's on this path, with this mindset, that he encounters three people. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now remember, Jesus is going to the cross. Remember, he's going to give his life to save the world. He's going to lay it all down. And Jesus replies, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says, if you're going to follow me, then I want you to know that you need to put me before your comforts. And that is a stunningly countercultural sales pitch. Have you ever, ever in your life, ever heard somebody say to you, well, before you buy this product, uh, before you acquire this for yourself, let me tell you all the drawbacks first. Let me tell you that it's costly and it's uncomfortable and it's inconvenient. Please sign here. A man walks up to Jesus and says, I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, are you sure about that? Let me make this clear. Let me tell you, I am a homeless guy. I am flat broke and I'm walking into betrayal. Are you okay with that? Are you ready to go through something like that? It's not uncommon for preachers to paint a distorted view of what it might mean to follow Jesus. We do it, you know, for all the right reasons. Uh, we, we love to see people come to Jesus. We want to persuade people that this is right. But we sometimes get it wrong. Sometimes we say, you're sick, come to Jesus, and he'll absolutely make you healthy. You're poor, come to Jesus, and you'll win the lottery. Come to, you're sad, come to Jesus, and he will make you happy. And we sell Jesus with lies. Come to Jesus and he will heal your cancer. Come to Jesus and you will be blessed with a five-bedroomed house. Come to Jesus and you need never worry about ever having to find a car parking space in Lewis ever again. Because he does that sort of thing. And what happens is that sometimes people believe us when we say that. But eventually they come back and they say, you know what, I'm broke now where I wasn't before. I started tithing, and now I'm 10% worse off than I was before. How does that work? I didn't get healthy. I didn't get healed. My relationships were hard before, and now they're even worse because we seem to be pulling in completely different directions. You promised me all sorts of things, but the reality is that it's harder than you said. And you say, wow, Steve, thanks for coming from Southover to encourage us like this. You're right. So I want to say right now, following Jesus is the best life you could ever have. It's the best. It is the most fulfilling. It is the most rewarding. It is the most hopeful, the most purposeful, the most secure, the most abundant life you can ever have. But it is certainly not the easiest.
What Jesus is telling this man is, you want to follow me? I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. You follow, want to follow me? I don't know where I'm going to eat tonight. I don't know what's around the corner, but it's going to be tough. If you want to follow me, that's great. I'm just telling you how it might be for you. So the challenge for this man is this. If you want to be a disciple, would you rather be flat broke and sick and sad with Jesus or rich and healthy without him? That's the challenge. Would you rather be sick and sad and broke with Jesus or healthy and wealthy without him? That's the choice. A wealthy old gentleman recently married a lovely young woman. And he was beginning to wonder whether she might have married him uh, for his money. So he asks her, tell me the truth. If I lost all my money, would you still love me? And she replies, oh, honey, don't be silly. Of course I would still love you. I'd miss you terribly, but I'd still love you. That's what Jesus is asking. Are you willing to say, Jesus, whatever the cost, I'll take you before my comfort. I'll take you before my convenience. It's too easy for us to live under the myth that if we walk with Jesus, everything is going to go swimmingly. All our problems will be solved. But Jesus is a broken, homeless guy who got betrayed by a friend and murdered by his enemies. That doesn't mean to say that's how it's going to be for us. But it is for those 220 Syrian Christians this morning who have just been abducted. And it is for some of those Christians in Pakistan last week who were murdered. Why are you following me, Jesus says? For me or for what you can get out of me? For a relationship with me or for the blessings that you hope you're going to get from me? Would you rather be sick and sad and broke with me or rich and healthy without me? Do you sense that a relationship with me, knowing me, knowing God as a friend, the king of the universe, walking alongside you, is actually worth more than all the comforts that this world could possibly offer? If you do, great. Take a step forward. Come with me. Follow me. Firstly, before your comforts. That is God's call to us. Secondly, follow me before any future you might think of making for yourself. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now on the face of it, that looks like a really difficult saying from Jesus because it looks like Jesus is being cruel. The man says, I want to go and bury my dad. No, says Jesus, but it's my dad, he says, I I will follow you. I will follow you. But first, let me go and bury my dad. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Doesn't that sound harsh? If you're looking for a reason to walk away from Christianity, you have it right here. If you're looking for an excuse not to be a Christian, here it is right in front of you. To leave this church, go ahead. Here it is. But if you're interested in finding out what Jesus really means by this, hang on a moment. Firstly, Jesus is an orthodox Jew. He knows the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. The ten commandments are the moral imperatives, the non-negotiables spoken by God, inscribed by the finger of God, instructions from God. 
Is it likely that Jesus is going to be asking this man to disregard one of the ten fundamental commandments of God? No. Secondly, Jesus loves his mum. Even on the cross when he's in agony, Jesus looks down and says to his friend John, John, I want you to look after my mum. Take care of her. Treat her as your own. I love my mum. Look after her for me. Even in agony, when we turn in and of ourselves and we become very self-focused in pain, Jesus looks outwards towards his mum and says, look after her. I want you to honor her, John, as if she was your mum. Does it really seem that he would so have little regard for this man's father? No. Thirdly, we know that in Jesus' day, when you died... The burial would usually happen within 24 hours, usually same-day burial. They didn't embalm, they didn't cremate, and in a hot country, they would usually bury within 24 hours, same day if possible. If this man's father is seriously ill or close to death, what is he doing here? If this man's father is dead, what is he doing here? As far as we know, this man's dad hasn't even got the flu. If he's anything like my dad, who is 90, he's still going up ladders and happily falling through glass roofs, landing on the sofa below, thanks, Dad. And fourthly, Jesus says, you know, there are two kingdoms you can devote yourself to, man. You can build a kingdom for yourself or you can build a kingdom for me. I want you to choose. I want you to preach the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus say that to this man? What's the link between saying that and this man's situation? Here's what's going on in this man's life. The man is saying, I really want to follow you, Jesus, but my dad's not dead yet. So someday in the future, when I have my inheritance and I've taken over the business and I've got my life in order, I'm going to follow you. When my kingdom is secure, when my kingdom is secure, I will start looking after your kingdom. Jesus, remember my face. I'm going to be back in 5, 10, 15 years when my dad dies. Then I'm going to be a Christian. Then I'll get baptized. Then I'm going to tell people about you. Then I'll do whatever you ask of me. And it'll be great and I'll be all yours. Someday, Jesus, but not today. Not right now. But I will follow you. I promise. You know, I meet people like this all the time. I would follow Jesus, but first. I'll be a sold-out Christian, but first let me finish university. I will tithe, but first let me sort out my mortgage. I will speak up for you, but first give me more time at work so I can get my feet under the table. I will get baptized, but I need to be more sure. I will totally, Jesus, wholeheartedly, passionately follow you as long as I've sorted out my backup plan first. I need to get my work sorted out because that's my kingdom. I need to get my love life sorted out because that's my future. I need to get my finances sorted out, otherwise I'll be in trouble. Jesus, when I'm 30 and when I'm married and when we have kids, then I'll have more time for you. Jesus, when I have a bigger house and 2.5 children to support and aging parents to look after, then I'll have more money for you. Jesus, when I'm getting back late from work because my career's really taken off and I'm dog tired, then I'll have more energy to be committed to my home group. Jesus, when I can afford to go away at weekends and the sun is shining, then I'll put you as top priority on a Sunday morning. One day it'll be great, Jesus, but not right now. When my parents are dead, then I'll follow you. When my debts are paid, then I'll give. When I have nothing more important to do on a Sunday, I'll be passionately sold out for you. 
Doesn't sound right, does it? Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim my kingdom. There is something more to your life and my life than the kingdom that we can build for ourselves. There is the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? Listen, if your dad is not a Christian, is it not more important for him to have a son or a daughter who is willing to follow Jesus because he's the most important in their life or to have a son or a daughter who is scared of putting God first? What is more important for our children? To raise them thinking that God is happy with second place in our life or to raise them that they might know that we think God is the most important person in the universe. There is no incompatibility, you know, between loving our parents or our friends or our children and showing them that the way to be truly happy, the way to be ultimately fulfilled, the way to know your purpose and meaning in life is to wholeheartedly walk with the creator of the universe. There is no incompatibility with this. We model our priorities to our children, our husbands and wives, our parents. And the greatest favor that we can do for them is to say, I believe in the God who is worth dying for because he thought I was worth dying for. I believe in a God who is so great, he knocks everything this world has to offer into a cocked hat. Don't you see? Proclaim the kingdom of God with your priorities and the dead can become alive because you've pointed them to the one who brings life. So my friend, what is the next step in your journey of discipleship with Jesus? What is it that you have been putting off? Baptism? Giving? Joining a small group? Witnessing at work, praying like you have never prayed before, finding a place to serve in the ministry of God's kingdom, committing to a community and being there for them. Live the life, walk the talk, see the difference that you can make when God says, build my kingdom. I have a future for you, says Jesus. So to follow Jesus is to say, I'm willing to put you before my comfort. I'm willing to put you before any future I may have. And then I am willing to put you before my past. Verse 61 says, still another, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replies, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. What this man is saying is, I really want to follow you, but first I have something that I really need to do. I really need to go home and tell my family and say my goodbyes. And I want to say to you, there is nothing wrong with that. And Jesus doesn't say that he can't do it. He doesn't say you can't say goodbye. But I want you to notice that Jesus gives him a piece of advice. He says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus understands people's hearts. He understands this man's heart in particular. He sees in the phrase, I want to go back, let me go back, something much deeper than simply let me say goodbye. 
J.C. Ryle once said, those who look back want to go back. Jesus sees something in this man's heart and it disturbs him. And Jesus warns him about the dangers of going back. Why? Because going back trips us up. Do you remember the Israelites in the wilderness? Do you remember them trusting God? No, nor do I. Do you remember that when times were difficult, uh, rather than trusting God, when the road was rough and steep, there really should be a chorus with that in it, uh, they looked back. They looked back. They looked back to the times that they were slaves, to the times when for 400 years Pharaoh had tormented them and beat them and killed them. And do you remember what they said? They said, do you remember the good old days in Egypt? Do you remember the cucumber sandwiches? We had cucumber sandwiches in Egypt. Do you remember the fish and the melon and the leeks and the onions and the garlic? They were slaves. They looked back and it tripped them up. 18 years ago, uh, I was in my second year at Theological College at Trinity in Bristol. And I have to tell you, I wasn't particularly enjoying it. The house was too small for us as a family. Uh, the, the study was too cold. And the teaching at the college just seemed really far removed from the reality that I'd experienced. So I went back to see my friends in the bank in London. And I parked my car next to their BMWs. And I ascended the 24th floor of this glass, chrome, and spotlessly clean, iconic building. I stepped onto the trading floor, which was my trading floor, the trading floor that ran the systems that we wrote, my electronics, my computing, my software, and it was buzzing. I went for lunch, and I turned down the 120-pound bottle of wine for a Coke. But if someone had said to me, Steve, you could have it all back, you know, I would have been torn. Going back increased my sense of discomfort and frustration with where I was. Compare what I could be with, with what I was going on at the moment is a dumb thing to do. I did it. Do you remember Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem? Do you know somewhere along this road, do you not think that somewhere between this point in Luke and Gethsemane, Jesus is not going to be tempted to say, Oh, I wish I was back in my father's house making tables. I wish I didn't get criticized by everybody for everything that I do. I wish I could just put my feet up and play with the Xbox, which was a box in the shape of an X, because he was a carpenter. But he doesn't. He doesn't look back. If he had looked back, if he had tripped up, how many billions of lives would have been lost your life is a field, and God has called you to plow a furrow in this field. You are on your way to heaven, to know God perfectly, to be everything that he has designed you to be for eternity. That is your prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. This life can be tough. There are times when you're going to want to stop following. But if you look back, you will end up veering off course and failing to trust. Jesus says you can't plow a straight furrow looking back. You can't. You'll crash. You'll be tripped up. You'll go all over the place. Try driving home this morning uh, and looking backwards while you drive home. 
See if Jesus' truth is not timeless. And as the crunching sound fills your ears, and as the airbag deploys, and as you see this light coming towards you with this strange heavenly music, you'll know that you can't drive forwards looking backwards. Well, I could have married that person. I could have done this with my career. I could have achieved that or enjoyed that or experienced this. No more sleeping with the person, whoever I want to. No more building my own empire. No more living for those I love and like only. Don't do it. It doesn't work. You'll crash. You'll get tripped up. You'll veer off course. Is this God's word to you this morning? If you want any harvest in your life, if you want your life to count for God, if you want to live with no regrets, keep your eyes on the price. Here is the key. When we put Jesus before our comfort, we will enjoy Jesus in our comfort. When we put Jesus before our priorities, it'll mean that we'll be able to follow Jesus in all our priorities. When we put Jesus before our regrets, it means that we will have no regrets because God is faithful. Put him first. Put him first before your comfort. Put him first before your future. Put him first before your past and it will be enough, more than enough. Pressed down, shaken and overflowing. Jesus met with three people. We don't know what these three men did. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know whether they chose their comfort or their future or their past over Jesus. Or Jesus over their comfort, their future and their past. I don't know. Why don't we know? Because I think these three men are you and me. These three people, these are us. This is our story in the Bible. And so I'd like to ask you to do the following in terms of just responding uh, to God's word this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask every one of you uh, just to stand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more physically than that. So would you all please stand? And I just want you to pray now with me. And I'm going to ask you just three questions and invite you just to, in your heart, step forward. So would everyone in this room who would rather be broke and sick and sad with Jesus than rich and healthy without him, in your heart, would you take a step forward? Everyone who would rather invest in the kingdom of God that will never fail and that will last forever, rather than what they can build for themselves which will fail, take one step forward in your heart. Everyone who would rather be wholeheartedly, fully devoted by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to go wherever he takes, whatever it means, take one step forward. Keep repeating that, and you will be a person who is known to be walking with God. Keep putting him before your comfort and your future and your past, and you will walk with Jesus, and you will see him move in your life. And you will see him build his kingdom through you and in you. And you will plow a furrow for the kingdom of God that will be so fruitful that others around you will be blessed, will be nourished, and will find the kingdom of God in their life. In your heart, 
take one step forward. And just as we remain standing, we're going to sing a song in response to this. Kate.